Welcome to another episode of The Greatest Pod, where we discuss and debate what makes something great. I'm Ron Swallow. I'm Ed Greer. And I'm producer Bill. And today, we are going to talk about one of the most influential comic books, I think, that has ever come out, certainly in our lifetimes. It is a titanic work. I consider it 12 issues of perfection than a lot of other not as good interpretations, but we can we can talk about that. It is a Hallmark comic created by uh, Warren Ellis, the writer, and Brian Hitch, the genius illustrator. We are today talking about The Authority. Absolutely. The originator of the widescreen comics format, which was later popularized by Hitch himself and uh, erstwhile authority writer Mark Miller when they brought it to the ultimates of the ultimate Marvel universe. But this style of comics absolutely originated with the authority. It is a really a product of its time in the turn of the millennium where comics were trying to outpace visual effects in movies, essentially. And so coming off the back of a time when art had really turned way towards manga influence you know, starting with the image creators and going all the way through guys like Joe Majerera and early Humberto Ramos, who were like huge at the time. Brian Hitch comes in with this realistic style derived highly from Alan Davis and to a certain extent, uh, Neil Adams, and just starts drawing his ass off with things that feel like huge, wide scale blockbuster movie spectacle. And of course, the mastermind behind all that being Warren Ellis. So I don't know, just wanted to give some sort of historical context for where we were at in comics. The image guys come in and kick some ass, take some names, but then start to pretty quickly fall apart. Absolutely. And uh, in the on the homage or homage uh, part of the universe uh, owned by Jim Lee, there was a book called Stormwatch. And it was kind of like their Avengers team, but like that kill you. The Killia Avengers, you know what I mean, basically. And they had a guy named Battalion and a guy named Fuji, who was their strength guy, and so on and so forth. The bottom line is, I didn't find it very, very compelling, but I did find the fact that they were trying to be hard about it. That there was an, a big, a guy called the Weatherman up in the sky who was like working out who should go where. The ultimate guy in the chair, because the chair was in his head. His mm-hmm. head was like connected to the burgeoning internet at the time, so he could like be everywhere and see everything and direct you to go on these missions. Ellis took over the book and in his run, he introduced Jenny Sparks. I think it's instructive to talk about Jenny Sparks right at the beginning, because the whole point of Jenny Sparks coming to Stormwatch and then her having basically to kill the, the boss, the professor X of Stormwatch, and then the book ends Mm -hmm. and that's what starts the authority. So it's important because when I I read some of the Ellis Stormwatch and there was a key scene, they go to this bar and she's in there with a bunch of of super powered malcontents and shit. And she's drinking and using her electrical powers and shit like that. And they're trying to woo her to come like lead Stormwatch and be part of it. And she goes, I've been alive for a hundred fucking years and I've led super teams from here, from other dimensions, (laughs) from all different timelines, you know, you guys will never let us have the autonomy that we need. You guys never let it really be a super team. So no thanks. Mm. So that's where the authority starts with the yeah. supposition that if there's too much government interference, if there's too much slave to public opinion, if they're, you know, swaying with the winds of time, you know, and dealing with legality, it doesn't help the superheroic ideal. It doesn't help them to actually do anything. So the authority is Jenny Sparks testament to what a super team should be. A very important part about Jenny Sparks is uh, it's finally one white character that has electrical powers. I just. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 
Yeah. Finally, finally, it isn't a black character who has electrical powers. It's about goddamn time. All right. Yeah, I, I can't disagree with that. I do want to place Jenny Sparks and this this genesis of the authority in the context of like Warren Ellis's career as well. Because um, like Ed said, you know, at this point, Image had almost imploded. This was this was after Jim Lee and Rob Liefeld were both hired back to Marvel to do their whole Heroes Reborn thing. This was, I believe, I mean, definitely after Rob Liefeld had made a total split with Image. Um, this was after, you know, Top Cow was struggling to find its footing. This was like before Witchblade in the Darkness really sort of brought them back to life. So, you know, Wet Works, Will Sportacio's whole thing had come and gone. And so it, it's like comics were really up in the air at the time. And Warren Ellis was kind of a little known writer, but he had made a bit of a splash with the Marvel 2099 series um, that he ended up sort of shepherding even as it fizzled at Marvel. Um, and he's coming on the tail end of the British invasion writers. You know, he's a guy from, from the UK who did not get in at the same time as like Grant Morrison and Alan Moore and Neil Gaiman. It's, it's sort of a whole new era. And so he was a guy who hadn't quite made his mark in comics, but he has some really strong pointed political views and they dovetail completely with sort of a lot of the concepts that we talked about actually in our episode where we discuss our comics, the most conservative art form, because Ellis as, as a, you know, a little bit of an old school progressive, he came in with sort of radical leftist politics as they would have been viewed in the eighties. And he really saw how the traditional idea of the superhero was almost antithetical to a lot of those ideals. And the authority ends up becoming sort of the centerpiece to him reworking the entire Wildstorm part of image into something that would essentially address those concerns. And so it starts in Stormwatch, moves into the authority, and then moves really into planetary those three being kind of the crown jewels of what he did with the Wildstorm universe. And the way that Jenny Sparks was sort of rebuking Henry Bendix, who ran Stormwatch, was really Ellis trying to say, like, superheroes never do the thing that superheroes should do if they want to make the world better. And that really became the driving statement of the authority. Is like, yes, they're realistic. Yes, they're super violent. You know, It's a lot of these ideas that you're familiar with in superhero comics, but turned on its ear with the idea that like we are going to stop pussyfooting around and we're actually going to make big changes in the world. And what would that look like? And Ron, you missed this while it was coming out. So it's funny that it made such an impact upon people like myself and Bill. I think later we could see the historical impact of it. Mm. But at the time it was like, yeah, they're trying to do these really cool comics with these dumb characters over there. They're like they're better than Wildcats, I guess. Like a, a lot of people were probably just like, yeah, there's a flying dude, there's a dude who looks kind of like Batman, electrical lady that's white. Oh, that's novel. You know what I mean? It's, it might not have been, I don't know, as powerful as it was to guys like us because I think I got into it because of I think Brian Hitch. I saw Brian Hitch. I saw what Brian Hitch was doing to in his post Alan Davis thing. And I saw those that first book. In the first book, a bunch of dudes from a, an island Asian nation with superpowers 
fly through a bunch of buildings in Moscow and the United States and start smashing people and kill and using their eye beams to murder people in the streets. That's like the first three pages. And it's like, dude, <laughs> what's going to fight this? There's a bunch of Superman are killing a bunch of cities, literally killing cities and scarring them with a terrorist mark. Who'd ever be able to beat this? And then in come these characters, you know what I mean? And I was, I was hooked instantly. I, th- those could have been published by anybody. I would have been reading that comic after I read the first issue. Well, it's a really interesting way to um, approach. All right, we're we're gonna do superheroes, you know, in the mold of big superpowered characters with gaudy costumes and tights, but like we got to make it distinct from the other things on the stand. Ellis's approach was a take and it really, it really was different, especially at that time. And I think that's the thing that might get lost is like the authority changed the way that superhero stories are told in such a way that like a lot of what Marvel and DC have done since has sort of been aping what the authority did at the time. And so the other part of this that I want to introduce into the conversation that could be sort of a runner is this fact that now James Gunn has announced the authority is part of his whole phase one of the DC universe, which is kind of crazy. Like, I love that there's guys who are in charge of these properties now are actual real comic book fans. I, mm-hmm. I, I, I think it makes a huge difference. You know, you having having guys like, you know, Feige who clearly has read all of the comic books and James Gunn, who has clearly read all of the comic books trying to put, you know, their, I guess their soul and love into making movies that have characters that they've always enjoyed reading. I, I just am excited to see what happens with that. And I do think the authorities interesting from what I understand of it. um, I have not read all of it. I have read planetary. One of my favorite things in general is this, argument between totalitarianism dictatorships tyranny and democracy and freedom mm. i it's that's you pull off something with superheroes that has that in it it's very interesting to me yeah to that point it is one of the first comic books to explore the possibility that overall comic books tell you that might makes right Mm-hmm. But then they hedge it at the very, very end. And I've I've said it a billion times. It's one of my phrases now. But I stole it from Warren Ellis when he said he doesn't want to do comics where the superhero has to put the fucking flag on the top of the White House at the end of it. He right. doesn't want to do that because that shows this almost slavish fealty to God and country and whatnot. If you were a being of that power, is that what your attitude would be for real? And it is if it's Superman, and that's what makes him special. But we're talking about every other mother fucker on the earth right? and and allowing for how these different people got their powers getting into some of the people um jenny sparks was born with her powers and became an adventurer and stuff and kind of led her own life but i think uh, apollo and midnighter were both either wetworks operatives or soldiers or people snatched off the street basically and given super duper powers in service of some mission so their morals are going to be maybe different you know what I'm saying, from how they're going to apply it to superhero demo. Absolutely. I, I think it probably is worth going through the, the lineup of the original authority. Um, so you mentioned Jenny Sparks. Apollo is essentially Superman. He has solar-based powers. He flies. He's indestructible. He's got laser eyes, the whole bag. He is gay, and that's the thing. So Midnighter is essentially Batman, except 
he has um, implants in his nervous system that essentially make him an unbeatable fighter and give him a certain degree of super strength and, and super endurance. So Apollo and Midnighter are like Batman and Superman who will kill you. And then they are also gay with each other, which at the time was a very transgressive take on the Superman-Batman relationship. Oh, and really, really quickly, and not to be like a... Their characters, I got to say, over the course of this time, we're going to talk about these characters. We're going to lionize them. But we're going to also see why they're hard for other voices to take over. Oh, yeah. Because they are so based in almost this parody reality. Yes. You know what I mean? And, and it is like a central almost joke. At the time, we are talking about 1999. As progressive as you want to be, hey, Superman, Batman, they're gay with each other, is well, kind of the way it started. And it becomes more than that and then becomes maybe less than that. Yeah, it's, it's it's so interesting because it's totally shipping before there was shipping. Well, and what's really weird is it's kind of written like a ship. When we mm-hmm. say it's a parody, it's not like they play it as a gag. Like it's shown that the two are in a loving, committed relationship with each other, and it's never made to be, you know, some gaudy plot point of like, oh my god, they're gay. Right. It's just shown that like, no, like they make out passionately when one thinks the other one almost died. And like, that's cool. And everybody moves on, which again, at the time was quite novel. Yeah. Oh, and just just as a fine point on the Batman uh, on the Batman versus Superman, I remember I did. uh, There is an interesting allegory between these characters and milestone media characters who were the milestone media characters were very 90s. And bringing them into this new generation and folding them into the DC universe, we're seeing some of the same problems and challenges and opportunities in the authority coming in, updating slash coming in to the proper DC timeline. But just to differentiate from Superman just a little bit, uh, we talked about this maybe a little bit before. Apollo is very dependent on the sun. Yes. Superman doesn't lay out and go, hey, yeah, I'm getting some rays because I need my energy for the day. But if Apollo doesn't get, there's been times when he's fought at night for a while and did this, that, and the other, and then there come some real super battle, and he doesn't have anything. So right. uh, there is there is a, an adventure where they have to, literally, he's too drained to f- help them fight a whole armada, and they push him out in like upper atmosphere, and he falls, like Halo jumping with no suit, for miles yeah. And while he's falling, he's gathering, he's so close to the sun, he's gathering up all the sun above the cloud layer, and right as he's about to hit the ground, he gets enough energy to t- take off, and he starts flying through giant spaceships like Captain Marvel. It's one of the greatest fucking things ever, but he does have that limitation. Very sun-based. Yes, very sun-based. We'll, we'll definitely come back and get into these guys in more detail, but I just want to finish giving the rundown, because you really yeah. see that, like... Again, it's not a parody in so much as it's making fun of, but every character on the team is like some very blatant take on a more famous superhero. It's yeah. an homage. Yeah, so you've it's it's not homage, really homage. studios. <laughs> well, but it is almost more of a critique, but again, we'll get into yeah. it. So, just really quickly, you've got Apollo, you've got Midnighter, you've got the Engineer, which is essentially your your Iron Man analog, but the Engineer They always describe it as she has nine pints of liquid machinery where her blood should be, which means that she essentially her entire body is suffused with these nanites that can do anything that she wants. So they'll cover her in like this indestructible shell, but then she can also, you know, make weapons. She can she can read things in the atmosphere. She can pull elements from her surroundings and refashion them into things that she wants. 
her powers get really crazy as things go. They've got Swift, who is essentially like your brawler, almost like the Wolverine of the team. Swift has essentially hawk wings, is able to transform her feet into talons, and has like heightened senses. So she, you know, can feel disturbances in the air. And that tells her that there, you know, there's people coming through portals 50 miles away, sort of a thing. Um, you've got the doctor. And the Doctor is essentially your Doctor Strange type character. But again, leaning into like the drug references, the Doctor has his consciousness like split with another dimension, which is the Garden of Ancestral Memory, where like every previous iteration of the Doctor lives. And it's intimated that the Doctor is like, as long as there's been humanity, there's been a Doctor who, you know, essentially compounds this awareness um, with all previous versions and they tap into like extra dimensional energies to sort of make quote unquote magic, but it's more, again, you'll see things steal from the authority. It's more like the magic of Dr. Strange in the movies where it's like, if you learn these specific things, you can tap into extra dimensions and bring those realities into our realities. And it makes you, crazily overpowered but it's like it's a lot more grounded than just i wave my hands around and things turn into other things you know it's work Mm -hmm. too that that is something that seems consistent with a lot of these characters is like they all came from something had to learn a bunch of stuff first yeah before they become uh powerful and and useful i guess well, and I think that's part of the whole critique. And so finally on the team, and this was always my favorite character just because it's such a weird concept. It feels almost Morrisonian, Grant Morrison style. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You've got Jack Hawksmore, and Jack Hawksmore was experimented on by aliens, and it turned him into the self-described god of cities. And so Hawksmore has super strength and super durability, but it's tied into this ability to essentially merge with cities. And so he has this weird version of like a psychokinesis where he communes with the spirit of different cities and can literally cause them to do things physically as if they are alive. But it also allows him to do things physically that would otherwise be impossible because there's an intimation that like the city itself is letting it do things through him. So it's like he'll he'll tr- he'll essentially teleport between different urban areas. He can like cause buildings to move and swallow people and it, it's this really not defined power set, but it makes him incredibly powerful. Um and That's he's interesting. A, I mean, yeah, he's, a, the, he's, a, he's a be great at I'm, eating green chili and doing math. That'd be amazing. <laughs> Well, 100%. I don't really know who his analog is in the way that all these other characters sort of have very clear analogs. I can't think of any analog right there. I guess Cyborg, sort That's, of, but not he's really. He's kind of, kind of the vision, but like not really too. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. That's totally, That's it's a more original character brought in. Yeah. And, and Hawksmoor, like Jenny Sparks, came out of Stormwatch. And so Jenny Sparks also is not necessarily an on-the-nose analog, but she very much plays like the Cyclops role where she's sort of like the no nonsense leader that everybody defers to, even when she's not the most powerful one on the team, because it's like, she knows what the fuck is going on. 
they are a, a team that is supposed to respond to giant global threats. They don't bother with muggers and shit like that. I don't know. They are basically just as reactive as a regular comic book team, actually. Now that I think about it, things do kind of rear their heads. They seem to be more ready to go excise threats than a lot of super teams. Once you get into Mark Miller's run, which immediately follows the Warren Ellis run, they more so live up to the promise of the premise where they start doing things proactively to change mm-hmm. the world. Yes. But yeah, in the Warren Ellis run, it's more like when they identify a threat, they want to create a permanent solution that robs that threat of any ability to harm anybody. And in so doing, like they essentially don't recognize any limitations. If And I mean, this happens. Like if we need to erase continents from the face of the planet, we will do that just to make sure that the power balance of the planet never allows, you know, this race of aliens that have built up their power set here to menace us again. It's not so much proactivity. It's just like large scale permanent solutions that superheroes could always do. But because of that, that um, reliance on the status quo, like the best thing we could do is make everything go back to normal. Most superheroes would never do this. The authority don't believe the best thing we could do is make everything go back to normal. The authority believe we need to make everything better all the time. Yeah, their main thing is we're, we're fighting for the to make a better world. That, that that's if they have a mantra like a team credo, it's that. And that's why they but that's why they justify their really fucked up actions sometimes. Oh yeah. Well, and what's interesting, too, is there's more similarity in the Warren Ellis run of authority with Planetary than I think it's talked about. Because Warren Ellis essentially only wrote three stories, but those three stories are encapsulations of very specific moments in the history of comic books in the way that a lot of what happens in Planetary is an encapsulation of very specific moments in sort of all of pop culture. And so the authority's first fight is essentially against a Fu Manchu-style villain, um, right down to like the racist, the racist caricature visual of it. Their second fight is essentially against uh, an invading parallel Earth, like the old you know Justice League of Two Earth stories in the fifties or sixties. And then their third story is essentially the Galactus story. They're all just they're all of those stories are just given a completely sort of modern mind bend and are made a lot more fucked up, both in what the villains are doing and then in how the heroes respond to it, which is kind of an interesting thing. That's what made it so so modern. I do, I'm curious about why, why these big differences make you like it a little bit more than the other stuff. Is it just that it's a, a, a different take? Um, do you like the permanent? Like, how do you feel about that? Is Do you feel like it's a questionable thing what they're doing? And the way it's written, is it questionable that they're doing what they're doing? I would argue yes, I don't know that it's ever questionable that they are morally wrong, but the book definitely recognizes like, holy shit, like these people are going really far. You know what I mean? Yeah. Also, there are um, – t- I have dissed Miller Mil- Miller before, M- uh, Mark Miller, but he is brilliant, and he's got a cottage industry for a reason. And one of the things he does supply – the after the original three, uh, Warren Ellis, Brian Hitch, Authority, just, just perfect uh, sort of trilogy of four-issue stories, hmm. uh, Mark Miller does start introducing things like, okay, they live in this giant fucking helicarrier, right? 
And it's like that their helicarrier could like eat helicarriers. That's how fucking big it is. And it surfs this thing called the bleed, which is like the arterial blood in between the flesh of different universes. So you go into the bleed, you're just chilling in stasis, and then you come out of it into the flesh of another world. And so they that's where their headquarters is, okay? And it's miles. It's giant. It's an ancient, almost, you know, secret place that they're in. And they start, like, housing refugees and shit like that. And Mark Miller, who is known to be low-key, he writes about racism. Mm. I don't know that he is racist, but he writes some people who who say some things that, frankly, are almost Tarantinian in their kind of brusque honesty about it. Like, M- Midnighter says at, at one time, there's a bunch of people playing soccer in the hallway. These big, giant Byzantine hallways. Like, Superman would fly for 10 minutes to get to the ceiling. And this big giant area, and Frank quietly is drawing this uh, this bunch of little dudes uh, from like I don't know Uruguay playing soccer in the hallway. And fucking Midnighters walking by, and he just gets on the comms. He's like, "I never knew how racist I was until we started having all these fucking refugees in the carrier." <laughs> and it was like it was like a, a really modern thing to say because mm-hmm. Batman would never admit that. He punches a lot of he, back in the days. He punched a lot of minorities in the face. He never drew some conclusions or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Because Batman's such a good guy. But this world is full of again people were almost put upon with their superpowers. It's not uh, the the doctor's a fucking heroin addict. Yeah, he yeah. never asked to be the doctor. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and his all the burden of knowing what. A thousand shamans going back a thousand generations new and all that coursing through your your regular day on Twitter or whatever. <laughs> he it, it it he can't he can't really encompass all the stuff that's inside of him. You know what I'm saying? So like he does drugs, he fucks models and shit. He he really acts out, especially in the Mark Miller run. Mark yeah. Miller almost indicts Ellis's like self-righteous, good guy fascist shit. Yeah, and starts writing stories of okay. After you are the uh, the unabashed power on the earth, how do the earth people respond? The ones that don't think you're Rihanna or whatever, because they they do become global on magazine celebrities. Yep. But the people who control the government are like, this will not stand. We cannot have this. And I don't know how much of that sort of dialogue between the Ellis run and the Miller run was planned from the Ellis run because it almost seems like it was like it's such a beautiful follow-up because the Ellis run really is more about the action and the scale and like we do things fucking different but in so doing like there are moments where Jenny Sparks using the carrier which is this sort of ancient reality shifting you know mega ship breaks across every Every news, every television channel, every radio frequency on earth unilaterally and just tells everybody like we're going to another universe to go fight something that wants to kill all of you. So while you're gone, you better fucking be good, because when we get back and if you do anything, we'll fuck you up. Like in as many words, she says that to the planet and then they go and do their business. And so. The Ellis run never really takes that to task in any way, but the Miller run is all about, well, shit, if you have a small group of people who are so unilaterally powerful that like they could theoretically watch our every move and punish whomever they want at any time, 
like that's going to destabilize world politics. And like, it's not going to be too long before the world starts coming for those people. Yeah. And last things last, it does start to introduce the concept or, or cement the concept that when they got that famous, they started like the engineer, like fucks Leonardo DiCaprio or something, you know, yeah. like they, they start like being famous. They start doing famous stuff. Like all of a sudden, you know, whatever famous lady of the time is going out with Jack Hawksmore or something. Like, why would that be? Well, it's because we're mega famous and we could fuck what we want and we could do what we want, you know, and that it, it, that it kind of indicts the fact that if you have that much power, you're almost owed to be a little bit more. I don't know. Be a role model for Christ's sake. <laughs> These guys are not role models. They're, they're Charles Barkley in that old 90s commercial, <laughs> you know. To, yeah, I mean, to be fair, though, like there is a gray area there where. Do, does being a role model mean that you have to be a servant of the status quo? Yeah, and, and there's an Im, there's a at least an implicit um, representation that they say very hard and fast. No, like we'll be famous. You can love us if you want, or you can hate us if you want. But like we have figured out morally what the right thing to do is, and we have the power to do it. So we're just gonna fucking do it. And like, we don't care. And yeah. that's ultimately what lead, you know, at the end of the Mark Miller run, the authority is taken down essentially by the U.S. government in a very uh, sort of bizarre and weird way. But, you know, not to jump ahead. But it's like what starts with the super people kind of filling a power vacuum when Stormwatch falls ends with the government being like, oh, hell no. And to me. That was the that was where I jumped off the book initially was with the end of the Miller and Quitely run, mm-hmm. but I just felt like that was such an interesting. To be honest, like I've been I've just been wanting that version of a superhero story ever since I read these books because yeah. that that really is like what the Justice League would be in real life. That's what the Avengers would be in real life, and I think. That's also why a movie like Captain America Civil War hits so hard is because it treads some of that same ground of like, look, in real life, if you have these overtly powerful beings just acting on their own moral certitude, people are going to fucking notice and it's going to make things difficult. Yeah, 100 percent. And that is interesting because, again, like, you know, you're hitting on the idea of dictatorships and should we have democracy and and all that stuff and and what i love about that is it it plays with how we've all felt at one time or another that's a great point and i think that was ultimately maybe the starting point for warren ellis was like what is the core fantasy of the superhero yeah and it really is just what if i had enough power to make things right the way I saw it. I mean, I've talked about this before, but like if I had too many, if I had enough powers, I'd be in Russia holding Putin uh, 2000 feet above the earth and being like, Hey, you want to live or do you want to die? If you want to live, you can go ahead and stop this war or you can die. And whoever takes over, I'll make it pretty clear what they're going to do right now. What you what's what's your choice? There's a part of my brain that would love to be able to do that, right? Yeah, and that I mean, is not. 
that's not world <laughs> democracy. That's not the right way to do anything. Right. You know it's not, but it's also morally right because you know that it would result in a war stopping that's killing innocent people right now, right? Well, but also, also, I got to say this. Uh, there is something to the reason why the authority feel the way they do. And it isn't just how much power they have. I think it's collectively how perceptive the entire team is when mm-hmm. you take it into and how 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 perceptive they are and how large their perspective is right this culture of us going we got to respect everybody's opinion man no 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 we have to respect everybody's autonomy we have to respect everybody's agency but when it comes time to do opinions it isn't about being from goddamn harvard or dartmouth or no bullshit but it is about articulating your opinion in a way that shows that you have enough experience in xyz you're talking about to have an opinion and then you articulate that opinion well and most likely respectfully. And then you can do some sort of intellectual engagement because there's set rules, you know, but yeah, it's not an ad hominem attack. It's not an opinion you need to respect most, most likely. That is a great point. And if you think about the way that we described the whole roster of the team, every single one of them has like a very, global perspective by virtue of what they can do like jack hawksmore literally talks to cities jenny sparks has been alive for a hundred years and and dimension hops right midnighter and apollo their brains are augmented to work at like a million times of human capacity um you know the engineer has technology that allows her to you know see and experience literally anything in the world so it's 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 this idea that these people aren't, you're right, Ed, they're not allowed to do this or or qualified to do this by virtue of the, their power. It's that the scale of their power gives them unique a, a unique ability to make these decisions, I think, is, right. is the bigger issue. Right. And it also makes these characters, though, a little bit harder to write when you get outside of a genius like Miller or Ellis because yeah. it immediately degenerates into – a bunch of bullshit or a bunch of like other people's power fantasies that kind of have already been covered in the, in the existent authority verse. And then you see like Warren Ellis does not write realistic dialogue, mm-hmm. but his voice is great. And it's, it's evidence in like, uh, when we were introducing the midnighter, I was going to read this earlier. The very first time you see the midnighter on the ground talking to anybody, he busts out this speech to this this uh, this super soldier in another country is holding a, a, a kid hostage, basically. And Midnighter rolls up, rain dripping off of his mask, and he goes, I know what special abilities you have. I can see the enhancements. I can detect the increased electrical activity in your brain. I know what moves you're preparing to make. I fought our fight already in my head in a million different ways. I can hit you without you even seeing me. I'm what soldiers dream of growing into. And what children see when they first imagine what death is like. I'm the Midnighter. And it's just, dude, he just shows up and says some cold shit like that to you. So, of course, the dude goes, get the fuck out of here. And starts fighting him. And just gets ruined instantly. Because Midnighter told your ass. And then and later in later uh, incarnations, Midnighter has a card that when he's about to engage with somebody, he just sort of gives it to him. And the card <laughs> says... I know what moves you're about to make. <laughs> it's just the whole speech written on the card. So he yeah. doesn't have to say it to anybody anymore. That's uh, yeah, that's the midnighter is amazing, but it is weird 
when you're writing the Midnighter and Apollo in a world where Superman and Batman also exist. Here we go. Is, this is the problem. This which is, is something problem. I want to get into. Before we do that, I did want to say, Ron, to your point about Putin, Mark Miller's run on the comics right after Warren Ellis has this giant bombastic conclusion where they essentially kill Galactus. Um, the first scene you see in the, in the Mark Miller version, they hoist Kim Jong-il, who was still alive at the time, and they don't make any, it's not an illusion, it is Kim Jong-il in North Korea. They hold him hundreds of feet over North Korea, and they don't even give him a choice. They he just asks, yeah, he asks, like, what, you know, what deal can we make? And they're like, no, we're just giving you to your people. And they drop him in the middle of this, um, of this impoverished village. You know, he breaks both legs or whatever, and the villagers just swarm him and beat him to death. And then it leads to what Ed was talking about. They essentially give the entire population of North Korea the opportunity to just board the carrier and be taken care, care of by them um, because the carrier is like 50 miles long, 20 miles wide or whatever, however they always describe it. So it's like they have the capacity. And then for the rest of the Mark Miller run, there is just a population of like, you know, hundreds of thousands of North Koreans living on the carrier while they go about their business. They're kind of living up to the ideal that maybe uh, the JLA the, seems like a lot of space up there on that big space needle up there. I don't know why anybody's hungry or dirty or whatever to go take a sonic shower, go to the fucking cafeteria, sit next to Martian Manhunter, pepper up with questions about Mars, you know, like just it just seems like they could be a little bit more inclusive, but it, they're an elite group. So as much as they they you know as much as DC Comics uh, kind of has looked at the authority as like this kind of the killer elite that thing that you watched Ron the cartoon that yeah. was DC Comics proper sending up the authority I think either either before or shortly after they had bought uh, you know Homage Studios and all of Bruce Lee uh, Jim Lee's properties to fold into DC that was oh, their see, commentary on the authority that's why Superman, Superman versus the elite. Yeah. So yeah. Manchester Black, you know, who has recurred a bunch because he was sort of the standout character from that from that arc in the book, um, is essentially just a spoof of Jenny Sparks. Mm -hmm. like, Which makes it super up. fucking funny that Manchester Black is in Superman and the Authority yeah. as the British hard drinking, hard smoking, weird, super powerful character that Superman recruits. It's like it's almost like. I don't know. It's like a cover band version of the authority, which I, I tried to get into a lot because I love the fact that in that continuity, Superman is depowered. Mm. But I only bring this up to say now that we've heard about these characters and we've heard their powers and their demeanors and the way they talk and the way they act, what the fuck are they going to do in a world with Superman and Batman and all this shit? They've always been that perfect pocket dimension story. Right. And folding them into DC proper has never worked. I'm sorry, will never work. It makes me, unless it's a future situation, which I thought they were doing with the the Grant Morrison Authority. So wait, are you talking about uh, uh, the new a new comic, which is I I did see is is coming out, or are you talking about um, there's a new there's the a new, there. There is a comic called Superman and the Authority where Superman, yeah. an, an old Superman, takes over an authority team and he he put, brings on Natasha Irons, John Henry Irons, these Manchester Black, Apollo and the Midnighter, the, the DC versions of them. That is, I think it just finished up. So, um, yeah, there, there's actually a weird story behind that. So 
Superman and the Authority was originally going to be like a 12-issue uh, maxi-series or potentially even ongoing series, but Grant Morrison was committed to writing 12 issues of it. But then it was all part of this thing they were doing called Future State, where it was like they were going to accelerate the DC timeline to a point where all the original heroes were old and then sort of figure out what that looked like. And that in and of itself was some weird spin on what the publisher Dan DiDio wanted to do, which was create this like meta timeline called 5G, where it was like, how could we tell Superman stories where Superman was actually introduced in 1938? And it's very unclear what that even would have looked like, but there was like this series of cascading publishing uh, turnarounds at DC where like originally Dan DiDio and Brian Michael Bendis were gonna do this 5G thing. Then Brian Michael Bendis' Superman doesn't sell like they were hoping it would, so he's out. Then Dan DiDio gets fired. So then this whole plan to like turn the line over to 5G becomes this stunt where they're doing Future State, which was going to be like a year-long initiative. But then that doesn't sell as well. So Superman and the Authority, the comic book, was supposed to be a part of that. And so instead of doing the whole 12 issues that Grant Morrison had planned, they were like, well... This writer, Philip Kennedy Johnson, took over Superman, and he is going to do this entire storyline where Superman goes to War World and like try and essentially tries to liberate the people of War World from Mongol. So we're just going to have Superman and the Authority be like a weird lead into that story, and then we're going to cancel the book. So they did four issues of Superman and the Authority, and it was completely compromised by tying into some bigger thing. Anyway, mm -hmm. everything else Ed said was correct, though. It was like what I thought was like this really ill-advised attempt to sort of mash up the, the breakout characters from the Authority with like some major characters in D.C., and even written by Grant Morrison, tackling some really crazy ideas, it still felt weird, man. Like, it's just, it's two great tastes that don't necessarily taste great together. Well, I mean, they were mm -hmm. written as critiques of those characters. So if you can't, you can't put the critiques of the characters together and that doesn't make sense and with the real character. That really yeah. doesn't make sense. It's, it's just not a great idea. You should just keep it separately and just under the DC name. And you can use it separately for movies or for whatever, and it still has its own storyline. And in fact, by doing that, you're creating a whole new world within DC that is separate from your normal um, uh, intellectual property. And so now you have two different intellectual properties within the DC uh, helm that can be used to take tell other tales of uh that are on either side of the the coin there like you can push that narrative of dark superman or you know killer batman etc cetera, etc cetera, to i mean different think, think about all the things that they own like uh Morin Ellis wrote a classic story where basically the four who are like the fantastic four but evil the four are super powerful in that world because there ain't no bunch of these other people that the superman and the, the Superman analogs in that world are either violent or idiots or compromise themselves in other ways. There isn't anybody to stop them. And they're very clandestine and shit. So they ended up uh, basically uh, a, a representative from an island nation full of women came to our earth and they killed that bitch and took her fucking gauntlets off. Then a, a, a person came from the stars and landed in a field in Kansas 
And the the Human Torch version of him went over to it, opened up the thing, and saw him laying on his little cape blanket and shot him with a flame right through the face and burnt him up. And so on and so forth. They they found the Green Lantern. They, the Green Lantern battery was inside of this alien, so they yanked it out they, and killed they, him. Yeah, they essentially desiccated. Like they, uh, they operated on his body to rip out his power source, and then they just discarded his body. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So like that that's the world where the authority and planetary reside. Right. So if they were to make that homage world or whatever the fuck, yeah. that could be a great place. Like you said, Ron, to tell stories without going, these are the else worlds, man. You could else these worlds in your motherfucking mouth, dude. Okay. You're DC comics for Christ's sake. Everything doesn't have to be an else world. You can have your max line, which is, this is, you know, I, I understand that's a Marvel concept, but you could do a line like that where your jokers and your bullshit that's so-called mature lays and, and the, and the Batman even where he doesn't, ha- he can, he doesn't have to have a Robin. You don't have to have some rain soaked something in the way as Robin in that world. <laughs> yeah. You could just do something else because yeah. you have the power to do that. You're so right, Ron. You're really right, dude, that, that that's how they need to do it. That people can, con- people can recognize the different brand flavors. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And, and then you have a little bit of freedom in there and you're not making, instead of, instead of making a Snyder pro, Superman, where mm. he's kind of a dick, you're just making a, another character that's similar to Superman who's a dick. And, <laughs> I mean, yeah. And and yeah. and and or and or extreme instead of a dick per se. I mean, he's not necessarily a dick. He's like just murdering because he thinks it's the right thing to do. Which again, that's a great argument. I mean, plenty of people have said, why doesn't the Batman just break the Joker's neck? Like We've we've all had that argument. It's an interesting argument, but you know what? That's not Batman's character in most of the comics. So mm-hmm. don't do that. Make something else. Mm-hmm. Why not? Well, you know what's even more interesting about all this is the bleed, which Ed talked about before, being which sort was of like fascinating. Yeah, I mean, a great Warren Ellis concept, so great, in fact, that DC has now made it canon in the DC universe, Mm -hmm. that their universes are surrounded by the bleed. And so it would be, and and by the way, many of the authority stories from the Warren Ellis run into the Mark Miller run deal with parallel Earths already. So like mm -hmm. making the world of the authority another world in the multiverse Seems like an easy thing to do, and I don't know why that's not on the Dude. table. And real quick, and, and, and then you can have crossover stories that make sense. They're not part of the thing; they're crossover stories. Yeah, yeah. Uh, do, do, do uh, sorry, Ron. Do that again because I stepped on you. Just oh. say that again. Just go. Do it. Do it. Well, and you can have crossover stories that don't have to be weird. They're just multi, you know, dimensional crossover stories. Right. And they could have a lot of heft because those worlds are real. Offer uh, some. I got to say, extant worlds out there don't mean as much because of the fact that it's not just that they're not part of the so-called main timeline. You never really invest in with this reality. The what if, the what if worlds aren't as real as this one. I'm sorry. I could watch Black Panther get beat up by Klansmen in another world. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. You know what I'm saying? I can't feel the emotional, visceral power that it would happen if I saw Black Panther fighting the Klan in this world. You know what I mean? And this main yeah. continuity. So, but when you establish these other worlds that are real and existent and have their own continuity and their own adventures and shit, and then you choose to motherfucking 
Authority versus the JLA would be one of the best comic books of all fucking time because they would be really fighting ideologies and shit and at the end have to come to some accord. Yeah. And it could be a great crossover. And then they go back to their own universes. But them kicking it, eating donuts together, trying to fucking have intellectual congress doesn't go, dude. But Midnighter kills Batman in 17 minutes. <laughs> yeah. And then, by the way, Midnighter operating on a team run by Superman makes even less sense because, yes, dude. Midnighter would kill Batman in 20 seconds. And then Midnighter kills fucking ever like his body count and like his. <laughs> His gory body count, like the things you see him do on the page that are just heinous is is sky high. And so Dude, Jack Hawksmore, Jack Hawksmore punches people's faces off yeah. like their whole jaw, their eyes pop out of their head and their jaw rips off. And then their spine starts showing through the flap in their neck where their jaw and their <laughs> mouth was. Yeah. He rocks motherfuckers. He he I mean, he brings blocks down like skyscrapers on top of people. He he makes a whole bunch of bricks from a wall fly and slam into your fucking body. Yeah. He's crazy. He he materialized inside of a guy's body and bursts out of it. Ooh, how fun <laughs> would it be to to have the guy? What's the guy who runs cities again? Jack Hawksmore. Jack Hawksmore. Jack Hawksmore in Gotham. Oh yeah, in, oh, and that yeah. crossover where Batman's in Gotham, thinking he knows Gotham. Yeah, dude, Jack Hawks were being able to tell Batman, but goddamn, Rod, you're on fire today, bud. Yeah, that no, shit so would be the shit. But again, those are crossover things that you keep that you make special. Yes, and well, and you keep them separate most of the time. I think you would have to because again, in a world where you're actually doing justice to the authority as it's written. Jack Hawksmore in Gotham would be awesome, and he also would kill Batman in 20 seconds. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. that's, and that's just the thing is, like, you're taking a concept that was literally written to, to indict the morality and the limitations that you put on these classic superheroes, and then you're going to nerf the shit out of it so that it can live side by side with the classic superheroes. Like, that's almost disrespectful to the concept it, it yeah. fucking is dude you do not ask michael jordan to go to your jv team and take it easy on yeah. the kids <laughs> just let him have a good time man like just just show up and but like don't go so hard because we want them to feel good about the experience like that's an evox dude and even the invasion thing even if i was going to be a stupid corporate shill and try to make this work Man, Midnight are showing up in Gotham and being like just taking out like a few low level guys Batman's been fucking around with for 50 years. Just he kills them in like one night. It's like, I don't know why you're having such a trouble with these guys. <laughs> this is, <laughs> uh -huh. you know, and it's, it's not Superman coming in and, and showing them up. It's a guy with similar, a similar power set, but just a different mentality about yeah. everything. Plus, he is super, dude. Midnighter versus Deathstroke Determinator would be so dope if it was special. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. By the way, I and mean, then Mid uh, Deathstroke the Terminator should be written to be Midnighter, by the way. Yes, that is correct. <laughs> See our Super Soldiers episode. <laughs> yeah. Um, another thing that's interesting to me, though, is just like, well, because, you know, of course, you're going to have a problem with Superman for a little while. Right. I mean, you're going to go in thinking you just kick his ass and then you can't quite kick his ass. And then Midnighter's like, I see all his moves, but he is fast. And then the city guy's like, well, I've been in Gotham. I know how to kill a guy. 
And oh yeah, yeah, dude. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you know, that's it's really fun. It's a really fun thing that you could do in a crossover. But again, as soon as that crossover is done, they go back to their different dimensions. Somehow, the people in Gotham, the 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 DC characters, barely survive. And by the way, we've mentioned this plenty of times before in different uh, scenarios, like when uh, Ed believes uh, when Batman fights. Deathstroke, he's supposed to be sur- just surviving Deathstroke is the accomplishment. It's not, and it's, I think it's the same thing with, with the Justice League. Just surviving the, uh, the authority is the accomplishment in this, this scenario. And having the authority be a little bit chastened by so called, uh, good guys. Yeah. Like, how, how the fuck did we basically lose to some good guys? You know what I'm saying? We had them. And yeah. then they, like, did some triumph of the human spirit shit on us. I don't even know what the fuck that was. <laughs> I mean, here's the thing that transitions us over to the, the DC movie verse talk is like, anytime I think, and I, look, I'm not the creative genius of the world, so I'm saying that they, they could come up with something that surprises me. But any scenario in which I think about the authority interacting with the DC universe, so do you use them as like a dimension-hopping uh, villain? Do you use them as sort of like a better version of the Suicide Squad, like the government puts together this watch team? Do you use them as like an upstart generation of heroes trying to supplant, you know, your Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, any variation of that, that I think of in my own head just kind of sucks. And like, I don't know how or why that does justice to the authority as a concept. Like why use those characters given everything that we've been talking about. And you you know what was, it harkens back to what Ron was saying earlier them Snyder broing Superman, like Superman, it our our collective unconscious wanting to see Superman punch something for Christ's sake became this giant lava monster from another dimension that ripped whole cities apart. It, had, it was made of collateral damage and it ruined the brand for a little while. You got these widescreen asshole guys right here that you could do all of that stuff with, that you could explore all of that stuff with. And I'd, I'd say DC has tapped into the edgelord shithead market. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, M- M- Marvel gets them organically, but it seems like DC courts the motherfuckers. Mm-hmm. So I'm just saying, there you go. Like yeah. a, 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 a decent person listening to this podcast may come off thinking that we just kind of revere ben- beneficent fascist violence on some level. Like if, if there was a, b- a beneficial enough fascist with enough power, whose ideals we agreed with, by the way, that's how fascism takes hold. By, yeah, the, way. Well, yeah. by the way, that's how it happens. Like they these people doing some fucked up shit, but you agree with all that fucked up shit, you and your barbershop buddies, all that regressive talk, they say it out loud and they they grab people by the this and they do this and the that. And woo, I love this. So, yeah, look, but I'm, look, yeah, there's some part ahead, of it. I'm just saying there's some part of it that exists in the superhero framework. See our our comic books, the most con, uh, the greatest conservative art form. Comic books are remarkably conservative in their in their approach to vigilantism and their approach to minutemanism. Uh, goddamn militia ism you dig who the fuck is that with militias in real life mm-hmm. okay it ain't but democrats the X, but the x-men will get over on you all day 
Exactly. Yep. And the X-Men are fucking terrorists yeah. from a certain point of view. So there, 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 there's so much there in the DC universe where I just feel like the authority could play those notes. But again, if Superman can fly out the sky and stop the whole enterprise anytime he wants, I don't see that. I don't, how could they be the authority? The whole point of the authority, the fucking name is on this here planet. We run barter town. Yeah. Motherfuckers come into our realm of existence and we push them out and we go into their realm and fuck them up and tell them not to come back. That's how much authority we have over the world. You ain't got no authority like that over the world. A Superman is over there and Batman got kryptonite in his pockets and there's a little kid on his shoulder like a bird or whatever the fuck. <laughs> that, you're not the authority of that world, really. Yeah. Although you saying all that just brings a thought to my head. I don't know that they would do this because this is a this is a ballsy swing. But if they establish that the world of their DC movies is already under control by the authority and the rise of the heroes that we know and love is sort of a reaction against that, yeah. that could be dope as shit. I you know watching Batman try to figure out a way to beat the Midnighter would be some true blue prep time feat type yeah. shit like oh are you trying to connect uh, the, the one way you can't beat the midnighter i think somebody did go uh either he went back in time before his computer part some shit something happened where they basically said hey midnighter you know those that blank spot in your head that's where all the moves and shit are right but you're not connecting to any of that are you because i turned it off now let's go all natural and Midnighter gets super fucked up because he came to rely so much on that combat computer. Batman finding a way to hack his combat computer. Uh, Superman finding a way to get supercharged enough to deal with Apollo's superchargedness. All these different feats could be that Bill. That's a fucking great pitch. They're never going to do it, but no. that would be great as fuck. And it would yeah. prove that like good guy bullshit wins. This right. fascist stuff doesn't win. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's see, that's, and this is the thing that bothers me about the storytelling, even in these Marvel movies, is like, we've talked about this before as it regards DC, but the the most compelling um, ordinary world, right, the, the world that exists when your story starts for superheroes is a world that is irrevocably fucked up. Yep. Because that is the world in which somebody with outsized power stepping up to exercise it unilaterally is least problematic, right? So having a world that is essentially the world of the authority and planetary, almost down to the, like, fuck, make the four the secret rulers of the world the way they do in planetary, have the authority running around, you know, telling governments what to do the way they do in the authority, and then this dude from Kansas who can fly shows up and starts going, this isn't right. Then you got a fucking story. Yeah. And like, mm. to me, that's so much more compelling than just Superman steps into the world. It's the world that we know. And like, we've talked about this before too, but there's a lot of fucked up stuff in the world that we know, but that's not necessarily the stuff that you want Superman to be overtly dealing with. Like, just having your story about Superman going and solving famine in Africa or solving sectarian violence in the Middle East or solving fascism in China, like those stories are not Superman stories. So right. if you can't tell those stories, you got to create a world with a bunch of shit that Superman can go and fight and we can feel good about it. And to yep. me, like 
that's the only milieu that I could see the authority making sense in as I think about this. Well, and, and also just real quickly, the thing about the future, I totally could see super, uh, 1939 or the equivalent, let's say 1999, guy comes down and he's a super baby. And he starts flying around about 16, 17, doing little shit, diverting tsunamis or some bullshit. The government starts being like, something happened over here. We don't know, so we can't say it, but something happened that was too fast to see happened over here. It's in the mm-hmm. same batch of UFO files as the rest of all the rest of that bullshit, right? And slowly but surely, these supers, da 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 da. And then we flash forward like 40, 50 years in the future. You know, the government would be all way into making things to combat this person and people like him. And that's where you get these midnighters and the Apollo to like take some of the sun abilities of Superman. But I just, it's it, either before mm. or in the future. Mm-hmm. That's where the authority would be best. Mm-hmm. But to put them right, as, as Ron said, as you said, Bill, as we're all saying, putting them right next to each other, it really doesn't make that much sense. It really does make their universe look super redundant and shit. And last things last, one of the greatest things about the uh, Marvel universe, as we've seen, you take one piece out, the whole shit can look like it's about to crumble because the Marvel universe is that cohesive. Mm-hmm. Doubling up on all these goddamn characters doesn't make your universe look cohesive. It makes it look like a bunch of stacked up fucking driftwood. Right. It, may, it makes it look like uh, trying to add peanut butter to uh, orange slices. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody get any peanut butter, orange slices? <laughs> but like the the other, uh, just a real quick, the other argument that I could see people making is like, well, what if you do make the authority on their own earth and then you get like a JLA versus authority crossover and that's your movie? I think, number one, the amount of track that you got to lay to get to the point where that makes sense. Like Ed said, that sounds awesome in the comics because the authority is a thing that exists, has history. You're invested in those characters as much as you can be invested in the DC characters. To just make them a one-off movie villain of like, oh, there's another Earth and there's fascist superheroes on that Earth. Better go deal with it. Again, just does a disservice to this IP that you have. And... From what we're hearing, it could be that the that the Squadron Supreme is the villains in Thunderbolts, the the Marvel movie, and so by the time DC even gets to the Authority, that ship may have sailed. So you know, another thing to just consider as you're guessing what might be coming down the pipe. Well, you know, and the the, the most annoying thing is if you do that shit right or you do our idea right, you're also making a commentary on on current life. Like mm-hmm. there, right now, there is a battle between fascism and democracy. That shit exists. It is happening currently, all in our faces, and it's not subtle. No one's trying to hide that shit. Not really. And on top of that, the democratic side, or the people who believe in democracy side, I should say, are also having a hard time going. How do we fight this, and then still be? in favor of democracy and pushing forward democracy. And if you do a great job with this, uh, with a superhero story like that, you can be analogous to what is currently happening. I'd also personally love to throw in a little corporate digging in there. If you can pull that off, because I also see that as one of the biggest problems that we're all going to be facing in the next 10 or 15 years. I mean, uh, if not sooner, because you guys, monopolies are literally destroying 
a bazillion different things. Art mm-hmm. is being fucked over by corporatism right now. Your yeah. favorite author has no choice but to sell books through fucking Amazon. They do not have a choice right now. Uh, so mm. I'm just saying, like, the things that are happening right now, I would love to see some great storytelling that, like, kind of talks about this sort of thing and how the – like, if the authority – if, if people with superpowers go too too strong, it, it's, it's one of those things where that fascism turns into, oh, no, you can't really do what you're doing because you're not doing what we asked you to do, even though what you're doing is just being yourself or whatever. I, I love that. If you could pull that off well on a good story. Well, the boys plays in that sandbox quite a bit. And like, there is an argument to, to make that like, well, if you sort of reframe the authority as being more of a corporate entity, like the Vought superheroes in the TV show, the boys, maybe that's an interesting thing so that they're corporate owned. And then, you know, these independent heroes rise up and they have to fight against the all powerful corporation but again, it's like we already have the boys, first of yeah. all, so you don't yeah. want to do that again. And, and the authority so- are rebels. Exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. they're 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 rebels, right down to the punk aesthetic of of a lot of the attitude, at least, of Jenny Sparks. You know, that's that's yeah. their that's their gal. But the well, the yeah. thing is, there's like, it's kind of like those rebels that turn. I mean, like, look, hippies started off being rebels. They yeah. started off being this group of people who was against war and it was a, wanted, you know, more like uh, uh, information. They wanted people to to be honest. They wanted the government to be transparent. There's all these things that they were fighting for, and then they turned into a bunch of fucking yuppies. And well, Steve Jobs is the authority, by the way. I mean, you're dead yeah. on with what you're saying, Ron. Like, mm-hmm. yes. Yeah, Steve Jobs is the real life version of the authority. <laughs> yeah, well, I I would okay, not just to try to paper my point because you guys, it's a brilliant point, well played, touche, motherfuckers. But I will say this: real hippies live in a goddamn van down by the fucking river and they surf every day or whatever the fuck. A lot, of, a lot of people espouse those ideals because they were popular. Mm-hmm. And they espoused this kind of communal, we're all a family bullshit because they deduced that that's exactly how to sell corporate America to regular people. So this concept that Steve Jobs was like a be- the best hippie or a hippie that would go put a flower and a gun at Kent State or something and just somehow transformed his thoughts to become a fucking asshole. No, 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 no. <laughs> I don't think he was anywhere near Kent State when that shit was going on. I don't think he was anywhere near any protests when they were going on. I don't think he was anywhere near any of the real shit because a lot of those people paid the cost. That's they fair. couldn't just stop protesting and go to Dartmouth and get their fucking goofy computing degree or whatever. So, but I do agree that almost everybody when they're young espouses these revolutionary ideas, these anti-racist ideas, these anti-whatever ideas. And you start getting out into the quote unquote real world. Uh You start seeing how fucking venal these cocksmokers are. And you're just like, I better adapt or die. I mean, it's it's a thought that goes through a lot of people's heads. So I do agree, though, that um, the authority being people who lost sight of the original mission makes perfect sense with them kind of going more totalitarian. Mm. You know, they start out to be rebels and they become totalitarianisms. But uh, the best corporate takedown I ever saw was in Grant Morrison's um, Marvel Boy miniseries drawn oh. by jg jones yeah. there was literally a like i don't a, an issue or a few issues where basically the hex corporation came down to earth the hex corporation which is a corporation that came out of nowhere and was as big as nike in like three weeks 
How the fuck did that happen? They're an outer space spore that lands on a planet and colonizes it with a meme, meaning viral idea yeah. of a corporation. And they just suck and suck and suck people in until the whole world is a hex corporation to the point where they make uh, they build up buildings and cityscapes and shit to make the hex logo so that other international or rather other um, interspatial, other intergalactic threats can see this planet and see that hex owns it. It's because they can see the logo from outer space. Wow. That, my friend, is the hottest corporate takedown of all time. I love that shit. That's so good. That's beautiful. Uh, Yeah. I mean, I I will say in terms of portraying the authority as as some as people who go a bit too far, I don't I don't mean to go full comic book nerd, but that leaves a little bit of a bad taste in my mouth just because I know that Warren Ellis's whole controlling idea for like almost everything he writes, you know, be it superheroes or not, is status quo equals bad guys, right? Like, Mm. keeping things the way they are Mm. is inherently an evil act. And the good guys are the agents of change. The good guys are the ones who are actually changing the status quo, making things different. And that is an oversimplification, but it is so compelling and it's like i would hate to i would hate to see that subverted i would hate to see that reigned all the way back into traditional superhero morality bullshit of like no changing the status quo is going too far and changing the status quo is something that must be done delicately because you know the change is always going to be more ter- tumultuous than just keeping things the way they are like that's the conservative bullshit that superheroes have always covertly sort of sold the public. And so I love the fact that the authority was sort of a warts and all inversion of that morality. And so I just it, it would really rub me the wrong way if you took the authority and just 180 that dynamic. Like that would yeah, kind of suck. That would kind of suck. I mean, but uh, you know, again, then you have to tell the whole story of the authority. If you ever want to get to that point, you have to start from the beginning. And, well, and, and yes to that. Tell and, the whole story. I mean, that's, yeah. Uh, but but here's where I think that runs into a problem is, in my mind at least, the DC superheroes can embody that same Warren Ellis morality. Not only can, but really should which yeah. is why I'm always pushing for like they need like the status quo of the world needs to be fucked up when they arrive. Like that's yeah. why people like Lex Luthor have power because the world is fucked up. And then it becomes like and by the way, this was also what Jack Kirby was doing with the new gods and this concept of like change and progress and and making things different is what good guys do and trying to keep things the same and keep power structures in place and make sure the trains run on time is what bad guys do. And like, put that on Superman, Batman and Wonder Woman. Like don't save that for this group of analog characters, fucking infuse that into your core stories, Mm -hmm. which would be, first of all, would be the best thing they could do. But that also makes the authority all the more redundant because then it's more just like the simplistic argument of like, well, should we be killing people when we're doing that or should we not? And it's like, okay, like, I don't know. I just, you make that the point of your conflict in your movie as I've seen enough of that shit. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. And, it, and it's a and it's a bummer 
it, it's it's a uh, and look realistically uh wars exist sorry guys like i know we're talking superheroes and we're talking fantasy but like at the same time people fucking die that's that's it's gonna happen and it, i don't know it's one of those arguments it's 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 a bummer argument and yeah we all know that superman and batman's depending on the conception of course there have been plenty of runs where batman fucking kills a, a motherfucker and there have been runs when Superman kills a motherfucker. But for the most part, I think it's an agreed upon thing that those guys are not supposed to do that stuff. But does it even have to be mentioned? Well, and, and by the way, Batman, Batfleck, Batman in the Snyderverse, basically yeah. was the Midnighter. Yeah. Right? Like, mm. and and you saw the reaction to, the, to that, and rightly so, I would add, of like, okay, well, why make, why revel in the fact that Batman is clearly killing people? Like you could, you don't have to do that. And really when you make Batman the Midnighter, that is the only substantive change that I think you would ultimately have to make is, all right, you just have to revel in the fact that he kills people. But absent that, you could still take the whole mentality and mission statement of the Midnighter and apply it to Batman. So again, you just end up in this weird place of like, all right, so the only thing we're talking about then is killing, which I guess is me reacting to the fact that, again, that steers the conversation back into this inherently conservative place of like, yep. we're still going to moralize about, well, you can go far, but not that far. Like, just fucking don't address it in the story, right? Like, just write yep. a story where you can do the world-changing shit that makes things better, making a better world, and you don't have to show them blatantly killing people on screen. Like, that's fine. But yeah. then again, it's like, so then what do you do with the authority? Which is kind of my whole feeling about this whole thing, right? Is like, all of the major changes that the authority really brought to superhero comics should just be internalized and imp implemented by the DC characters, and just maybe leave all of the excess gore to the side. Yeah. And so then when you're the whole point being like when you're then asking them to occupy the same space, the only point of differentiation would be, well, they gorily kill people and they don't. And like, again, well, what, well you what know, and, and just we're getting into uh, the actual, you know, the morality of this and the other. But uh, as a dismount here. The funny thing you just said about them infusing this kind of spirit of these anti-establishment characters into their guys and making their characters a little bit more rebellious or shit, it fits all their personalities. Um, if Superman used to beat the shit out of landlords yeah. and woman beaters, okay? Batman used to, to get, Batman wasn't always nabbing people on a giant fucking typewriter. And, you know, in the beginning, he was, you know, he was doing gothic creepy as, as, um, uh, Bob Kane would call it uh, mysterioso <laughs> stories. He, he really thought that that was a genre, the mirror, this the mysterio, mysterioso genre. And Wonder Woman being a goddamn barbarian from a from a place where they probably grab up ships full of dudes and bang them and throw them into the fucking sea when they're done. You know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> this barbarian monster woman comes, you know into our world and now she's trying to blend in with her hairy legs or whatever. I mean, there's all kind of rebel rebel shit 100%. inherent in their characters but they just just like wonder woman shave her up make make her you know uh not have her have like the true amazonian shit they got one boob because they removed it for better arrow shooting like yeah. they, they want to make up the 
prettiest version of each one of their characters and all that dumb rant, which might even be cut out by the, by the end of this, all of the infusion of this anti-establishment shit, it happened with Marvel. Yep. The widescreen stuff that they stole from the authority because of Brian Hitch brought the technology mm-hmm. to Marvel, Mark Miller, and them they had they brought the fire to Marvel and they made the Ultimates line and then Marvel uh MCU that is cannibalizes and picks and chooses different aesthetics. Like you notice how everybody's costume in the MCU is just their ultimate costume, more or less. <laughs> yes, I do. You know, you know what I mean? Because yeah. there's a sort of work boots, but a little spandex, but then a jacket as, you know, a- aesthetic that they were going for. So like the spirit of the authority migrated over to infuse Marvel products. Yep. So, I mean, DC lost out again. And I think that's what James Gunn is keying on. He's like, fuck. <laughs> These dudes have snaked Darkseid and made him Thanos, who is better than Darkseid as far as movies. Mm-hmm. And they snaked this sort of utilitarian, I lace up my superhero boots sort of look for their characters. The widescreen spectacle, the Mark Miller of it all, uh, the Brian Hitch, I should say, of it all. They already got it. So this is James Gunn's attempt to read Richard's reach on over and gr- <laughs> grab up some of the true DC and it isn't true DC it's Wildstorm shit DC just bought it yeah. DC did not invest any of these fucking ideas into them they bought them mm-hmm. and i think that's that might be why you know the shit ain't working cuz mm-hmm. they don't it, it it's DC's problem DC buys everybody's shit DC will buy pulp fiction and goddamn goodfellas and try to make them live in the same universe you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, hey, I, well, I mean, look, go? they already bought Captain Marvel, changed his fucking name to acquiesce to Marvel, and then made him live in the same universe as Superman. So they have a long, rich history. They yeah. they love that shit. Bought the Charleston characters and so on and so forth. They so, love to just jam these incongruous worlds together. Yeah. Well, and like, I know we're talking about the authority, but since we've moved into this conversation, I do just want to say, do you think it's too late because I kind of do, to be honest with you. I mean, Marvel hit everything. Iron Man, that's a rebel for your ass, as Ed would like to say. <laughs> yeah. That is a, I, immediately out the gate. You get this, uh, this, this rebel tech guy who decides that, you know what? I just found out something bad's happening. I'm going to stop the bad thing from happening by doing my own thing. Yeah. And the, world's it, a, the world's a fucked up place, and I don't need to stand for it. I mean that exactly. is the authority attitude. Even and I don't Captain need America. to be part of it. Yeah. Even the way even the way they did Captain America, even in that first movie which everybody kind of is like yeah, it's fine. But even in that, he's like they don't want him to to fight. Mm-hmm. And he's like fuck you, I'm going to fight. And he goes and does it anyways. Mm-hmm. He's yeah. a fucking rebel. Hawkeye. Oh, all of these characters are fucking rebels sort of doing their own shit. And then coming together makes it more interesting because you're like, how did this disparate group of weirdos and rebels come together as a team? It, 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 it they've already done it, and well, you and have I, to do that with the JLA. Yeah, and honestly, Ron, like Civil War was essentially what Mark Miller did with the uh, with the Authority in his run. Where it's like, all right, you do enough shit unilaterally, cause enough collateral damage, we're going to come for your ass and shut you down. And obviously in the authority, it's done with way more gore and sort of creative violence. 
But yeah. in spirit, it's the same thing. It's like, yeah, you set up all your rebel characters who get fed up with the way the world works, starts doing big, gaudy, spectacular things to change how the world works. The world reacts and tries to shut you down. Like, that is the authority, and that is also what Marvel has created. <laughs> yep. Well, sometimes so. it just pays to to just steal, man. You just yeah. steal. Great, good artists borrow. Great artists steal. And super great artists just use AI to make crap, right? Uh, right? Yeah. Right? Total uh-huh. piece of shit ethos uh-huh. for capitalism. Cap- Dude, capitalism and rather corporatism eating our morals. Mm. Is like the biggest fucking problem right now. One of the biggest problems. That's why okay. I think the boys is the greatest superhero thing to come along in a good long while. It Dude, really I mean, and, and it's good that Ron and you, Bill, brought up the boys in that because uh, I was going to jump on that. The cor- corporation superhero. The thing about the authority was they were always, to me, what happens when. You got a couple cast off government superheroes. You got a rebel bitch from the past. You got uh, a, 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 a figure that would never be able to be on a team because he's experiencing all the realities from a thousand years all at one time. And he's on heroin. So mm-hmm. why would he ever be part of a super team? Why would he ever be somebody you would actually rely on? What idiot rely on a person like that? Somebody who thinks outside the box like Jenny Sparks. Right. Jack, Jack Hawksmore is like if Fox Mulder could punch your jaw off and drop a building on you. <laughs> he's a yeah. psycho who thinks he's been experimented on by aliens. You know what I'm saying? So there's just they're so different than regular comic book characters. But again, I think Warren Ellis, who made a bunch of weird profiles and did a bunch of weird shit with, with young ladies, Absolutely. like write, writing them a bunch of messages and, and declaring his undying love and sexing him and shit. But then doing that to like 500 chicks, they have a website dedicated to his victims. Okay. Yep. So we're yep. not trying to lionize this motherfucker as a person, but as a comic book mind, these motherfuckers ain't fucking with Warren Ellis. The fact that we love Mark Miller and Mark Miller is about 60% to 55% as good as Warren Ellis. And yeah. it's just a fucking true shame, bro. It is. No, it really is. It is. Yeah, man. So, I, I mean, I think your big takeaway from this conversation, you as a listener, if you haven't read the authority, at least like the first 20 issues of the authority, get your shit together and read those books. I mean, come on, man. <laughs> yeah. Right. And, and just, just to, to preempt, <laughs> to, to preempt, all the shit after, and I think this is, it's, it's, I don't want to do a sad dismount, but it is what it is. The authorities that we've gotten since then have all been inside what we're talking about, the strictures of the, of the DC universe, uh, some of the, the lack of cohesion of the Warren Ellis voice. So like Midnighters had his own book where he went back and like saved Hitler to kill him or something, you know, like all, all this weird type of weird shit going on. It just needs to – these characters, I got to say, they're not paper thin. They're like construction paper thin. You know what I mean? Like construction paper is kind of a hardy paper. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's, they're not deep and they need each other. You know what I'm saying? I don't need to read no Midnighter book. Yes, Midnighter correct. functions good in this team. Apollo, same thing. Doctor, same thing. Uh, the engineer, Swift, who we didn't talk about like at all, because yeah. honestly, Swift is the one miscue on the whole team. I'm sorry, like I don't know 100%. what the bitch is for. I don't 100%. know what the fu- what the fuck she she has hawk wings. She flies very fast. She has talons. She can see really far. She can, as Bill alluded to, feel wind currents. Look, you, okay, 
you got you Superman won. on your team. What the fuck look, do you need that for? <laughs> look, uh, look, because talons are fucking rad, Ed. Okay. Well, That's honestly, <laughs> she is the Wolverine of the team, but it's like she's Wolverine without any of the likability or cool factor. <laughs> right. And and she's on a team with three Wolverines. Like well, there's yeah. multiple Wolverines on this That's team. That's true. Like when, when the leader of your team, when the Professor X of your team is constantly telling people to fuck off, I don't know what Wolverine needs to be doing there. <laughs> Dude. Oh, and last things last. I just got to say the last thing thing that i got out of the authority besides all this moralizing and all this bullshit we've talked about is the advancement of the superhero power sets mm-hmm. to watch the doctor the a bunch of people were f- a bunch of super beings about the equivalent of maybe a little bit stronger than spider-man or luke cage but they can fly and they have eye beams and there's a thousands of them raining from the sky flying through buildings so just think about that how horrific that would be and the doctor he made the guy, a guy's lower body turn into ravens and fly away. When all the super guys are flying through and, and they're shards of them and all the glass from all the skyscrapers falling and all that shit, he changed it into trees mm-hmm. and made like a whole city just be like this jungle book with trees going through buildings and shit to save everybody. And then he passed out. You know what I mean? Like, that's cool. The, the, like Midnighter's actual combat abilities being a way cooler version of articulating Batman's combat ability. When Apollo got full of sunlight, he could shoot you with sunlight out of his eyes and his mouth even. Dude. Do you know what I'm saying? Th- these were weird. Uh, Jenny Sparks got to be a hundred stories tall made of light. When uh, electrical things would fly through her, their engines would go out. So she like stopped a whole armada with her body by making a giant electrical field out of herself that maintained her physical form yeah crazy shit is going on man yeah well and it has to be noted that so much of how superman and batman have been portrayed for the past 20 years was directly ripped off from what they did in the authority like Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. apollo's power set was portrayed very distinctly from superman and now the way superman operates is very much like apollo and same thing, like Midnighter, the way he fought and just like his whole attitude about fighting, the way he would just stand in the rain, kind of stare you down, tell you how he was going to fuck you up and then do it. Like now that's just Batman. But at the time, that's not really what Batman did. So mm-hmm. that's also one of, you know, one of the double edged swords of being so cutting edge is like everybody rushes to do what you're doing. And now 20 years hence, it's like, the new things that you brought to the table are just the can uh, are just canon or just how it works. The engineers whole steez got stolen by Marvel, dude. All of the, oh, yeah. all the fucking nano helmets and shit that flowy, that shit that flows mm-hmm. over your body. She had that a long time ago and to the point where she would get more resources. Like if she needed, like Bill said, if she needed a bunch of more resources and she would use the nano machines to pull them to her and then make our, she needed to go to space. So she made a fucking rocket pack and blasted herself to space and it detached in space and she yeah. flew on without it. You know what I'm saying? Like she made herself into a rocket ship, dude. Like, I don't which, know, man. There's which, by the way, shit. literally happens in Avengers Infinity War with, with Iron Man. Yeah. He literally does that. Dude, Captain Marvel flies through ships she, in the she, way that uh, the Apollo did in the Authority. Every every visual of Captain Marvel's powers, like from the way her eyes light up, to the way she flies through ships to like, I, I mean, everything about it is literally just what Brian Hitch drew Apollo doing, yes. which is crazy. Dude. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and let me say 
the one thing that we do need to remember while we're making all these arguments about, um, you know, what it could mean, the, the, the theme behind it, the stories behind it. We also need to remember that sometimes comics are just fucking rad. Mm-hmm. Like that is a big legacy of authority, bro. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just rad. It's just cool. It, it's just a fun storytelling device to see kick-ass powers and, and badass fighting and, done right you'll just have a spectacular time seeing the visuals and really just getting into what's happening and enjoying the fantasy of the whole thing too so we're allowed to do all of that without even having to delve or dwell delve 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 deep dwelve is a good word though delve deep and dwell on it dwell yeah oh dude it's great at a word dwell Dwelve on 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 all the the nuances of the story and stuff like that too. Don't necessarily have to do that sometimes. No, I, and uh, go ahead, go ahead, Bill. I'm sorry, I agree, man. And honestly, if you if you look at a lot of the like of the time reception of the authority, that's kind of what everybody was saying is like you've just mm-hmm. never seen shit like this before, and there's there's something to be enjoyed about that. Absolutely. Yep. So uh, much like our podcast, they are ahead of their time. But you could show that you were down with us the whole time by leaving us a five-star review. Yes, please do that. And also uh, hit hit the subscribe button on your your podcast app. If you're listening to this to the first time, just put the subscribe button, and then you'll automatically get all of these podcasts when we uh, drop them. And if you're just like, man, I got all this extra money in my bank account, you know what you can do? You can throw us a few ducats and join our Patreon, patreon.com slash the greatest pod. You'll get art. You'll get extra podcasts that are a little more personal. We just did a watch along of Captain America Civil War and sort of, I don't want to say Mystery Science Theater 3000 of it because we didn't make fun of much. We mostly just uh, talked about how great it was. Mm-hmm. Just <laughs> kind of reveled in it. It was a really fun time to not only watch it with the boys, but like really talk about it a- a- as well. So we really dwelled into it. love it love it so uh that's real easy patreon.com slash the greatest pod and ed why don't you take us out oh man i just want to thank the people for listening to another innovative exhilarating widescreen episode of the greatest pod